0: Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest again, uh, it's good to have you with us. We welcome you and uh, thank you for being with us. It's been wonderful this morning to see so many guests with us and some that were a part of. Uh, Friends Day last week and then back again this week, and maybe there's some even here tonight that, that uh, were here last week as guests, and we're glad that you're here again, and it's wonderful to see uh, how many in the congregation invited so many and, and that they came, and, and, uh, and it's good to see them back again today and continue to encourage, and let's pray, and, uh, and let's do what we can do uh, to encourage people to walk along uh, toward God. And to not only live on this earth in a relationship with God, but, but to live for an eternity with God. And that's really an amazing thought. If you want to be open your Bibles, just a few minutes, we'll look at Luke, the 10th chapter. As we think about serving responsibly, we want to look tonight at the fact that, that it requires faith. Uh, to really step out there and, and to do things in God's kingdom that maybe uh, we don't see exactly how to work out. We don't maybe even see how it's even best. But if it's what God asks us to do, it takes faith to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to do what God asked me to do. Uh, we're so thankful that last Sunday evening at six o'clock here, uh, Tyler O'Field, preached and he did just a tremendous job. And T- Tyler's been going to the Nashville School of Preaching uh, just for the last two semesters and uh, has loved it and just continues to grow uh, in his knowledge and, and grow in, in his ability. He has not uh, preached or taught many times in his life and he did just a tremendous job. And, and we're thankful for the growth uh, that, that is taking place in, in his life that, that he's nurturing. And uh, also... Uh, we're thankful for all that worked uh, behind and in front of the scenes uh, for our for our Friends Day to be such a great success. You know, the the weather kind of concerned us for a little while, but it just seemed to work out so well. And appreciate David Harper. Uh, taking pictures. And as we mentioned appreciation for pictures, we ought to mention David Glisson. He he takes so many pictures throughout the year for us too. But David Harper took several pictures of, of Friends Day. And so I, I just have a, a few that I've pulled off of his jump drive there. And uh, the the first thing we see is the delicious hot dogs we had. And and uh, thanks to the ones that did that, they were delicious. The drinks were plentiful. Uh, the fellowship was really good. The weather ended up being perfect. Uh, All frisbee, became the sport of the night. Uh, The blow-ups were a hit for the kids. Uh, Some hung out on the benches. Others hung out on the ground and some in a wagon. And uh, some on the lawn, some under the pavilion, and we all felt safe because there were three batmen there to protect us. And they even brought their own blow-up. It's good to have the children, the women, of course the guests, For a really, really great Friends Day. And that's a wrap. (laughs) I don't know if it's true. It's written as if it's true. Sounds almost too good to be true, but I'll share it with you anyway. A little girl walks into a pharmacist several years ago. She had her hand clutched tightly. And she waited patiently her turn, except the pharmacist never let her have her turn. You see, he seemed to be very distracted with someone behind the counter that he wanted to visit with. And so he'd wait on the next adult, and then when that adult would walk off, he'd turn to this other person, and this kept happening over and over, and he kept noticing this little girl wasn't going anywhere. So almost in a sharp tone, he finally said, "What, what do you want, little girl?" And she said, "I've come here to get a miracle." He said, you've, you've come to get what? She says, I've come here to get a miracle. I thought this is where you came when you needed a lot of help with somebody's health. And he said, I doubt we can help you. What, what are you talking about? And she said, well, my, my little brother has something growing in his head and, and the hospital that we need to go to is a long way away and the doctor costs a lot and the surgery costs a lot. And I heard daddy talking to mama and he said, the only way that that would ever happen, that our, my little brother would live, would it'd take a miracle. And so she said, I went and I broke my piggy bank and I brought all my money and I've come here to buy a miracle. And he started to say, I don't. And he was interrupted by the other man behind the counter. And he came around and he said, I think you've come to the right place for a miracle. How much money do you have? And she said, a whole dollar and 11 cents. And he said, you know, that's just about the right price for a miracle. And he put his hand out and she poured the dollar and 11 cents of change into his hand. He put it in his pocket and he took her hand and he said, would you take me to meet your brother and your mom and dad? And Carlton Armstrong, a great neurosurgeon that was visiting his brother, the pharmacist, went and met the little boy. He paid the expenses to have them to go to Chicago. And he performed the surgery and paid all of the hospital expenses. As her brother was recovering in the hospital, the little girl heard her mama say to her daddy, how much do you think all of this really cost? And the little girl smiled because she knew. It's a dollar and eleven cents. And faith. Sometimes you just have to have faith. Sometimes you have to have faith to believe in something that you can't see with your own eyes. And when we talk this month about service, I. I wanna challenge you and I wanna ask you, will will you go beyond just what you can see with your own eyes? I mean, can we join Paul when he says in 2 Corinthians the fifth chapter that we do not live by sight, that we live by faith, not by sight? Do we? This week, are you gonna live by faith or are you just gonna live by sight? You're only gonna do the things that make sense with your own eyes. When you can calculate it and you can see exactly how it's gonna happen and you say, oh, I feel safe now. Yeah, let's, let's do that. What about when it's God's will and it doesn't feel safe? Will we do it then. When you look at dictionary.com for a simple definition of faith, this secular definition says, in the first listing, it says confidence or trust in a person or a thing. And by application, faith in another's ability. Now, that's a beautiful definition of faith. Now that's not the fullness of faith in Scripture, but now think with me for just a moment. In Scripture, we really see, in a sense, two kinds of faith, And I, and I don't mean to undermine the importance of one faith, so listen carefully to this. In Romans the 10th chapter and verse 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That system of belief that comes from obeying every passage of the word of God. In other words, if we had the ability to keep that perfectly, that would be the system of belief. That would be the article, the, that would be the faith. That's why I like in Ephesians, the fourth chapter in verses three, four, uh, in verses four, five, and six, we have the seven ones in those three verses. And you remember in the middle of the seven ones in verse 5, he says, There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now, notice, you have faith, and I have faith, and the person next to you has faith. Somebody says, Oh, there's a lot of faith. Well, we each have to decide do you have confidence in Jesus? but ultimately when i say i have confidence in jesus and you say you have confidence in jesus hopefully we put our faith in the one faith in other words i believe that this covenant comes from jesus christ the new covenant and i believe in the system of belief that comes out of that covenant and so we put our faith in the faith and so tonight Of course, anytime we study from the Holy Word of God, we're going to be studying about the faith, and so I'm not discounting that. But tonight, especially, I want us to think about, though, okay, but what about your faith in the faith? Are you willing to step out there? Even though the quote doesn't necessarily, it doesn't have the word faith in it, and and maybe we kind of have to do that by application. This is a quote that I read many years ago that I, I just love it. Uh, Andre God said, one doesn't discover new lands without consenting to lose sight of the shore for a very long time. Imagine living back a few hundred, several hundred years ago and in the days of explorers where they're, they're on the shore, there's a ship and you could probably say to a lot of people on the shore, hey, you wanna ride in a ship? And there would be probably a lot of people would say, oh, I've always wanted to ride in a ship. And you could take them out probably about a half a mile and they probably start to get uncomfortable. They say, you know, the, the land, the shore's getting a long way back. Let's go ahead and turn back. What does it take to discover new lands? You've got to grow comfortable with the fact of, I'm going to leave the shore. And I'm going to go out way beyond looking back at the shore. And the truth is... I don't know exactly where this is going to lead. Now for us spiritually, we know where it's gonna lead eternally. And that's what's beautiful. We leave the shore, the things that we can see, and we live by faith. And we don't know exactly where this faith is gonna lead us on this earth, but we know where it's gonna lead us eternally. And that is why Paul can say that, I don't live by this eyesight. I don't live having to see the safety of a shore. I live by faith. And if God opens up a door and he says, I want you to pass through this, Paul didn't say, I've got to make sure that this feels really safe. I've got to make sure that I feel really comfortable with this. I've got to make sure that I can see how this adds up here and this adds up here. Can you imagine what Paul's missionary journeys would look like if he lived by sight and not by faith? They could probably be recorded in about two verses. Tonight, I hope you and I are willing to look into a beautiful text of Luke, the 10th chapter, and I hope that we're willing to think about what it would be like to walk with Jesus. In Luke, the 10th chapter, if you have your Bible open, I'd like to kind of just show you some things uh, about this passage when you look from Luke 10 and if you just started turning the pages in your Bible, you could go all the way over to Luke the 18th chapter and in verse 14. And that is a peculiar or unique passage in the gospels because from the 10th to the 18th chapter those passages are not in any of the other gospels. They're not in Matthew, they're not in Mark, they're not in G- in John. This is the brief latter part of Jesus' public ministry where he goes to the eastern side of the Jordan River over into Perea. And it's there that he carries out a ministry that I don't know why. And it's not that it's that significant because it's in the Bible and that's what counts. But it's interesting that the other gospels choose not to record it. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, God just allowed Luke to record it. Now there is one exception of In the 11th chapter, verses 14 through 32, that passage is found in other gospels. But all the others, that's the only exception in those verses. And so as we think about serving, like we talked about this morning, serving so that God could receive the glory so ultimately souls could be reached... I wanna speak in a very stereotypical format for just a moment, and, just, and, and because in a moment, we're gonna read from Luke 10 here, and, and we're gonna see that, that Jesus is all about sending out the 70. There was this short-term mission trip where he sent out, depending on your translation, he either sent out 70 or he sent out 72. And, and so there, there's this short-term mission trip, and, and it was all about harvest, and we'll read that in just a moment. But I'd like for you to think as we're looking at this map, before we leave this map, Think about Jesus as he looked at harvest. You can think, if you know the Bible very much at all, you can think of times in Jesus' ministry where he ministered to people who lived in Judah or Judea. And, and so that was a place that, if you want to be stereotypical, they were of supposed privilege. They were oftentimes prideful people Because of that, they were oftentimes prejudiced people. And you know what Jesus thought? He thought they needed to be reached with the gospel. He looked at them as if they were a harvest. And he actually calls them that. I believe it's in Matthew, the ninth chapter. And he he talked about them being like sheep without a shepherd. And he prayed that there would be labors sent into the harvest by the Lord of harvest. Or then we go north of that into Galilee. And sometimes it's called the Galilee of the Gentiles. That was the Jews in Judea. That was their way to show their contempt for Galilee. That's why Nathaniel said about Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Because there was a lot of contempt for the Jews that lived in Galilee. You know what Jesus thought? Jesus thought those Jews that lived in contempt needed to be reached. We come down between those two and we see Samaria. We're not saying it lightly whenever we say the Jews hated the Samaritans. Steep, dark, ugly prejudice. They were the hated people. And truth is, they hated a lot of the Jews too. And you know what Jesus thought? And John, the fourth chapter, Jesus intended, he intentionally made his trek through Samaria and he talks in John, the fourth chapter about the harvest also. Remember, that was the passage where he says, you would think it'd be four more months. It's not gonna be four more months. He says, the fields are widened to harvest right now. But then tonight, we're gonna to spend just a little time looking over the Jordan. And sometimes the way... Scholars and different ones refer to this land as they call it the forgotten land. You just don't read about it much in the New Testament. And you know what Jesus did? Right toward the end of his public ministry, he knew that when Passover was coming, he was the Passover lamb. Can you imagine knowing that? So he knew when Passover was coming, he was going to be making his way to Jerusalem. But he had about six months And he'd already spent time in Judea. He'd spent time in Galilee. He grew up there. He spent time in Samaria. And you know what he did for those six months? He turned his face and his heart and his attention toward the forgotten people. And he took these 70 and he used them as forerunners. In other words, his plan, since he knew he only had a limited amount of time, his plan was to only to hit the cities. In other words, let's go where there's a lot of people and let's make as big an impact in as short a time as possible. And so to even do that, not only did he go to the cities, but he used 35 teams. And he said, I'm gonna send you out two by two and I want you to go to the cities. And he sent them to the cities to tell them about the kingdom that was at hand and to prepare the cities that Jesus, over that six months, was gonna be passing through there and teaching. It's really an amazing plan. It's amazing to think that our Lord Jesus planned a campaign. He he literally got 70 people together and said, we're gonna do a short-term campaign. And and this particular campaign has, has some real concise details to it. I want us to hit only the cities. I want us to go out in twos. I don't want you to take provisions. I want you to count on me and let God provide for you. And when you go, yes, I want you to help by healing people, but I also want you, and this is in the 10th chapter, verse nine and 10, I also want you to teach that the kingdom is at hand. As we look at this, it's interesting when we read in Luke the 10th chapter, the first three or four words in verse one is, after these things. Why does it begin that way? After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place, see, notice it was city, and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, the harvest truly is great and the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his harvest." It's all about harvest. And notice here, he ties the word harvest to three groupings, if you will. First, he talks about the harvest, and that's individuals that are lost. If the Lord came today, this group would not be saved, they need to be harvested. who are you going to work with tomorrow that's in that group? Who do you live with that's in that group? Which of your really good friends are in that group? What neighbors are in that group? He also spoke of another and that was the Lord of Harvest. What this group needs to do is to meet this one. The people that need to be harvested need to meet the Lord of harvest. Now say this with your attentive ear. It doesn't work that way. Now I know somebody said, what do you mean? You're saying the Savior can't say, I'm not saying that. You're saying they can't find the Savior. I'm not saying they can't. I'm just saying, you look through the scriptures, there's always an emphasis on a third grouping. There's always an emphasis on the laborers of harvest. Jesus didn't say, over here across the Jordan is a neglected group. They need to be harvested. I'm the Lord of harvest. That's all it takes. God's plan of redeeming mankind has always been for the redeemed to be involved in bringing the harvest to the Lord of harvest. We don't see anybody in the book of Acts being saved unless someone who is already a Christian went and reached out to them. And I know you've heard me say it, but I know someone can say, so you don't think it's possible to find a Bible on a deserted island and become a Christian? Yes, absolutely, I think that's possible. I'm just telling you, as a rule of thumb, that's never the way it works. Are there exceptions? Yes, there's bound to be several exceptions over the last 2,000 years, but how many exceptions are there that compares to the rule of thumb? It wouldn't be 1%. It probably wouldn't be 0.1%. The point is that God has a way of redeeming mankind and it's through the Lord, the Savior of harvest. But it's always through the laborers bringing the Lord and the people together. And so Jesus says, pray that the Lord of harvest will send forth laborers. So tonight, if we prayed that would you be willing to be the answer to that prayer would you be willing to be the laborer that goes and reaches out to the harvest i'd like for you to notice that when he says after these things anytime a chapter begins with after these things you, you have to pause and say Why did it begin with after these things? In other words, some things must have happened before in order for him to be able to say after these things. If if you have your Bible, flip back to the ninth chapter. Isn't it interesting that the 10th chapter begins with a campaign of 70? The ninth chapter began with a campaign of 12, sending out the 12. And then also when we skip down to verse 20, we see that... These things that happened before, one of the things was that he fed 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. That's significant to the 10th chapter because in the 10th chapter, he's going to send them out and he's going to tell them they can't take provisions with them. Well, you can imagine them thinking, well, wait a minute, who's going to take care of us we can't have provisions? It's kind of like, well, just remember the other day I was able to feed 5,000 with a little boy's lunch. Do you trust that God can take care of you now? And then also notice the message. The message over and over. See down in 21, it was about the fact that Jesus told them that he's gonna go and he's gonna suffer and he's gonna be crucified and he's gonna be resurrected. And he says that again when, when he goes down in verse 43, 44, and 45. So it becomes, because keep in mind, he's within, he's within about six months. So it's now a recurring theme. I wanna prepare you for this. I'm going to Jerusalem to die but I will be resurrected. There is this message of of kingdom talk that is really getting strong. He's gonna be the king that pays the price for the kingdom. And so then when, when the 70 are sent out, what's their message? Their message is be ready for the one who is coming. The kingdom is at hand. And then also notice this in Luke 9 is also where the transfiguration took place. And remember, one of, the, one of the great messages of the transfiguration is how once Peter saw that, remember, he didn't know what to say and he spoke up anyway, bad idea. And so he didn't know what to say, so he said, I tell you what, let's build, let's build a tabernacle, three of them, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And the silence of heaven was broken with the Almighty God saying about Jesus, this is my beloved son, here him in other words peter as great as moses is we're not building a tabernacle for him as great as elijah is we're not building a tabernacle we are going to listen to jesus which goes back again to that kingdom message it's not elijah's kingdom it's not moses kingdom it is the lord's kingdom the 70 are going to be sent out are they clear about the way that they are preparing That was a part of after these things. And then we'll just skip down to the last paragraph of the ninth chapter. And it's the cost of discipleship. And you remember verse 62, Jesus said to them, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He's going going to give the 70, the very next verse is talking about the 70. And and he's gonna give the 70 a task. And the question is, are they gonna be willing to put their hands to the plow and finish it? Not put your hands to the plow and then start looking back. Now, any of you that, that, that can relate to this, if it's literally you're putting your hands to the plow and looking back, what, what are you looking back for? Hey, is it, is it lunchtime? I'd, I'd like to go back to the house. Hey, can I think of a good reason to stop plowing? I'm, I'm getting tired walking behind this plow. Maybe, maybe, I could, maybe I could go back to a shade tree back there. We're great at excuses on Sunday morning, either this Sunday or last Sunday, depending on where you are in our Sunday morning study and Bible classes. That was a big part of the lesson with, with Moses. We're great with excuses. Even though he doesn't use the word excuses here, that can be a part of the idea. Are you going to put your hand to the plow and say, you know what, Lord? I'm involved in this harvest with you and I'm with you until it's over. I'm not putting my hands to the plow and constantly looking back. Constantly looking for a reason to get out. Constantly looking for, for a reason to do something else. And if we are, the Lord says we're not fit for the kingdom of heaven. And so as we go into the 10th chapter, there's, there's beautiful language that points backwards, but then points forward. And so I'd like for you to notice when he says in, in uh, verse 3, He says, go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals and greet no one along the road. When he says, go your way, notice that next part of the phrase where he says, I send you. That's the authority. You know, if if you see me in the grocery store there's a very good chance that you could say, hey, what are you doing here? And I could say, I've been sent here. There's a very good chance. You know, that it may be that you're on a work trip and maybe you run into somebody in Chicago. And you say, what are you doing here? And you say, my work sent me. Are you involved in harvest work that you've been sent to? out to do isn't it wonderful to know that we can answer that call you remember Jonah he was given a mission and he went his way but he didn't go the way that he had been sent he went another way Judas he was chosen to be apostle but he didn't go God's way He didn't go the way God sent him, Demas. At one time, apparently, he was a faithful follower and he went the way that he was sent. But Paul, late in his life, said, he's forsaken me, loving the present world. Let's make sure that as we evaluate our life, that we learn from this passage how important it is to be sent. But also let's notice that as we're sent, we're sent out as lambs before or among wolves. Now, that doesn't sound so good, does it? How well does a lamb fare when it's before the wolves? You say, well, that, that sounds like to me you're, you're willing to sacrifice, you're, you're willing to suffer, you're willing to die. And that's the message all throughout the scriptures. If we had time, we look at Romans the 8th chapter where there's so many beautiful teachings there about suffering. But what it ultimately boils down to is that if we were to put on a scale where there's a pans here to level out. And we take all the suffering that we could experience on this earth. It's heavy, it hurts, it's really hard. But then we say, is there anything that can make this worth it? And it's the glory, the eternal glory that is yet to come. And, and Paul says, that is more valuable. And so no matter what the suffering is, it's worth it for that. But I'd like for you to notice that next phrase where he says, carry neither money bags, knapsack, nor sandals. What is he talking about there? He's sending them on a mission. And, and any of us that have been on mission trips, you, you know what it is to make provisions. Hey, what do we need to pack? How many times have we gone on mission trips and we've been given a long, a long list and says, this is your packing list. And the Lord says, okay, for this particular mission, and by the way, this is not the standard that all mission trips so don't get flawed up in some kind of thinking like that. This particular trip though, God said, I've got something that I want you to do. Okay, Lord, what's the the packing orders? I don't want you to pack. Okay, now now wait a minute, Lord. I I know that along the way it it takes money to live. He says, not on this trip. You're not gonna take any money. No money. Okay, so we're packing all of our food. No, I don't want you to take any food. (laughs) No money, no food. Okay, what about like extras, no. No sandals. This is a debate about whether or not they're wearing sandals at all or are they taking extras. But the idea is you're not taking any provisions to take care of yourself on this. And so then comes the question. You see why we're studying this, thinking about it takes faith? Okay, so. Jesus, I'm just trying to figure this out. Um, Are you going to meet with us every morning? And like every morning, you're going to say, hey, here's your money for the day. Every morning, here's your food for the day. If I break a sandal, hey, here's some extra sandals. What's he doing here? And he's testing their faith to see if they are willing to trust him with all the provisions. To me, this is... An amazing story in the Bible. How many of us would load up and go on a trip? Remember what Jesus, when He taught us to pray? He didn't say, Lord, give us our monthly provisions of food. He said, give us our daily bread. Can we trust God enough to know that he will take care of everything that we need? You know, the children of Israel wandered out in the wilderness for 40 years and Moses was trying to get them ready in the book of Deuteronomy for going over from living in tents to having huge houses and from eating bread and and manna and and quail to having huge feasts and to not having much to having hillsides with cattle on them and minerals in them. And he's trying to get them ready for all that. And he even says in Deuteronomy eighth chapter, and, and about beginning verse 11 and down through 17 and even following, he even says in there, you're going to say by the power of your might, You have gained this wealth. And it's in that language he says, beware that you forget your God. It's hard for us because as Americans, most of us could probably go for a month if we had to pretty easy on the things that's in our refrigerator and our cupboards and in, in, in our freezers. Probably some here could go for a year. And you know what we forget in that? We forget that still our daily bread comes from God. But my fear is because we forget that, we forget that ultimately as Christians, we're to walk each day by faith. But we grow so accustomed to wanting to believe that we're taking care of ourself. We plan so carefully to make sure we have enough money to the end of the month, and there's wisdom in that. We plan so carefully to see if we have money to retire, and there's wisdom in that. But in all of this planning, and all of this surplus, we cannot, or at least should not, forget that God is still the giver of daily bread. He is the giver of all of this. And there's wisdom In remembering that and so we close we close with that last line right there where he says at the end of that verse and greet no one along the road scholars aren't exactly sure why he says that there except could it be that the eastern custom of greeting would perhaps take a while and this mission trip that he's planned is all about expediency and reaching the largest number. The word city is in this chapter over and over. It's all about reaching the, the larger numbers. And, and could it be that, that greeting individuals is not what he's urging them to do? He's urging them to go to like the city gates where a large gathering would be, or, or, or the wise ones and the city officials and, and and speak to the masses, if you will. And it could be that individual uh, salutations could also mean personal endearment. And, and so we would slow down and we would spend too much time with one person. And, and on that trip, not reach the masses. And listen, here, here's something that I don't know, the exact science and faith of the wisdom of this, but I'll leave this with you and, and I hope you'll ponder this and I hope we'll really give our, our, our best righteous effort uh, to, to figure this out. God did not give us our closest friends to spend all of our time with. When the amen is said after service, I assure you, God didn't give you your close Christian friends so that you'd spend all your time visiting with them and neglect the guests that are looking for God. God doesn't give you every Friday and Saturday night to spend all your time with your closest Christian friends that are already so strong in the faith. And the fact is, you guys just love spending time together because that's true, isn't it? Christian friendship is such a wonderful gift that it's so easy for us to get off balance. And we got the Lord over here saying, he's begging us, please look at the harvest. And we're over here with all the saved and we're saying, I don't I don't have time. I would miss card night with my Christian friends. I I we'd miss we'd miss going out to eat with our Christian friends. We'd miss our fellowship meal with our Christian friends. We we'd miss hanging out on vacation with our Christian friends. We miss I'm not belittling the importance of this fellowship. I'm just saying that God never intended for the love and the time we spend with our Christian friends to stop us reaching out to those who are lost. And it's interesting in this particular context, he says, I don't want you to spend a lot of time greeting the individuals on this way. In other words, I'm not looking for you to form friendships on this trip. I'm looking for you to get the gospel out on this trip. I hope the word of God has convicted us in some way. I hope that we're determined to live by faith and not by sight. I hope that we're we're determined to trust God, that, that he'll give the daily provisions and we'll have faith. I hope that we'll be convicted to say, I want to have something to do with reaching out to the harvest and I don't want this beautiful, wonderful friendships with God's people to be what distracts me from doing it. And if I could tie just briefly as we close back to this morning's lesson. If the only people you invite over into your homes are your close friends. If I could be so bold as to say, You're missing it. Really bad. There's a harvest that ought to be our prayer. It ought to be our focus. It ought to be what we live for as well as our Christian friends that God has blessed us with. We got a world of over 7 billion people. And most of them are lost. I beg you tonight, just let it break your heart. Let it break your heart enough that you say to yourself, I've got to do something about it. And then leap out in faith. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.